It's time debit card users are also included in the cashback fun. Now everyone can get cashback on everyday purchases with Discover Cashback Debit. That includes no fees, period. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank member FDIC. Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. I'm Betches co-founder Jordana Abraham, and this episode is brought to you by Instacart. Your fever is high, and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on, while she's sneezing, coughing, aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us, trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues to tea to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours. So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey, the podcast where we cover all the pop culture we love to hate, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. I'm looking at you, Jax Taylor. I'm your host, Ryan Bailey.
You guys, welcome to an all new So Bad It's Good. Are you pumped? Are you excited? Did that song get you going? I hope it did. Uh, it's Wednesday. That's hump day, babe. Humpty hump. You are at this point after today, you're 60% done with the week. And that we always say you can coast this last 40%. Who cares? Phone it in. Tell them Ryan Bailey told you to take it easy. And uh, and then there's the weekend. So it's it's pretty much done. And folks, tonight, if you've been living under a rock, you don't know, but it is it is the finality, the final of Vanderpump Rules, the reunion part three. The we're so close to the end of Scandal. So we have this. And then of course, next week we have the secrets revealed episode. But Listen, that'll be fascinating to watch, but we don't need to cover it with the same fervor. So this is our last hurrah, baby. This is the last hurrah. We're done almost. Release us, Scandaball, from this, this pain. But I'm really excited. I'm going to be watching. Uh, I was invited to Sir. Bravo, invite, Bravo was nice enough to invite me to Sir to watch at Sexy Unique Restaurant. So I'm excited to go there uh, to, to where all the magic happens and <laughs> see how Peter's doing. Hopefully I'll get a run into Ken. Uh, of course, being me, I'm very nervous to go because I just am not comfortable going outside anymore. Fun stuff. Uh, but yeah, I'll let you guys know on Friday how that experience was. Uh, of course, we're going to go out with a bang with our final pretty. I mean, we have the secrets revealed. We'll recap that. But, you know, the reunion will be one of the final performances of the year. So Please join us on Friday for one last hurrah. Let's go out with a bang, baby. Um, we did, man, it's in three months. I, I counted on the calendar. Three months of our life has been dedicated to Scandaval. So we need to start picking up hobbies, trying to, uh, you know, reunite with our families again, uh, you know, talk to our friends and loved ones and say, sorry, I've disappeared these last three, mo three months, but I'm back. And, and how, how are the kids? <laughs> uh, if you like this podcast, um, uh, please rate it five stars on Apple podcasts and Spotify. Those things really do help do that for other podcasters as well. I think it's just the best thing that you can possibly do. Um, also, we're on YouTube. It's over at So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey on YouTube. Subscribe over there. You can see you can see visuals. You can see this beautiful face, these beautiful baby blue eyes looking directly at you, uh, talking you through the pop culture and entertainment to news. Uh, and then, of course, the Patreon. I just released a full recap of the second part finale of Summer House which was very frustrating. You just listen to a man that is going through a lot, trying to figure out what the hell happened this season. And, and honestly, I, I just, I like Danielle, but I still don't see why Danielle to this day still doesn't understand that Carl was not trying to do something purposely to hurt her. And, and I will just, I don't think I'll ever understand it, but Danielle's different than other reality people. Cause I still like Danielle. I just think she is wrong on this aspect and don't even get me started on the bed sore mafia. Don't you do it folks. That's going to be for another podcast down the line. We'll get into some final thoughts on summer house, but I'm glad this season is over. We don't have a three part. We just had a two part, but did you notice they cut out a scene from the summer house um, second part of the reunion. They showed a clip last week where Lindsay says, Sierra, you texted Corey and asked him to go out when he was already dating Sam. Do you, they had that and they must've cut that in a week. And part of me was like, did they initially plan on a three-part reunion and then realize they didn't have enough to fill it, but they cut that scene out. My also, my overall thought with summer house too, was it was like Andy would focus on things for like two minutes and then move on to the next thing. I'm like, no, we're not done here. No, 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 no. We're not done here. 
Now, I had some thoughts on yesterday's So Bad It's Good at the end, and I watched it a second time, and my feelings, you know, kind of expanded. And, uh, uh, you know, was that I was really, I loved, I want to clarify, somebody wrote me on Twitter saying, I didn't think Andy did a good job. What are you talking about? Because I said, Andy, I, what I was referring to was Andy's last speech last night at the Summer House, you know, finale. I thought he was really good in summing up everybody's emotions, what, you know, how this spiraled out of control. I thought it was communicated effectively. That I loved. I'm I'm saying, yeah, like there are certain moments where I'm like, no, why are we moving on, Andy? Or like, why don't we ask a follow-up question here? Why do you let Paige off with like a two-minute segment about Craig? And then it's like a 40-minute segment about Lindsay and Danielle, which I get, but let's start trying to clarify Lindsay and Danielle in the first episode so that by the second episode, we have enough time to actually fix this thing instead of like a forced fixed ending at the very end. Anywho, you want to think you want to know something that makes you feel worse than Summer House. Or as I call Bummer House, what about visiting over to those uh, Real Housewives of New Jersey folks? I watched the second part of the reunion tonight, and I, I don't know, folks. I, I I think Melissa and Teresa aren't aren't gonna be friends after this. <laughs> I don't think they like each other very much. I don't know. We say it. I hesitate ever. It's so sad. I, you know, I had Anphrodite on the, the guest on Tuesday and we talked a lot about Jersey. He was a big Jersey fan and I loved, you know, hearing his takes. Now it might not be my take. I had a take on Ariana that I didn't agree with, but I love hearing people's takes. And he was like, he's not a dick about it, but I will tell you with Jersey, the majority of people that really have Jersey discourse it gets evil and mean somewhere along the line. I say this all the time because it scares me on a daily basis. I'll go to Twitter and start seeing things about Jersey. And it's not just like, well, I think this is interesting because of this. It'll be like, I think this is interesting because of this. And I want your mom to rot in hell, you dirty son of a bitch. It'll be so intense. And you will be so scared immediately that you immediately throw your phone across the room. I, I truly, it, it's, it's evil. And it's both sides. I hate to break it to you. It's, it's, it's Teresa fans and it's Melissa fans, both evil. The guys, they're just two women, you know, let, let them figure their own shit out. I don't, I don't know what they're, what is, there's no, no, there's no referee that's going to come in at the end of the day and say, guys, we, we figured everything out. Teresa's, Teresa's winning. It's like, what? No, there's no win. Everybody's losing at this point. But it was an hour of yelling. Even Andy was like, okay, you guys are just going to keep. Like, there literally was a, no, you are. No, you are. No, you are. Fight between Melissa and Teresa. That lasted a minute and a half. Count that out. One, two, three, four. It lasted a long time. Andy was like, okay, just keep talking over me. And then they kept teasing the guys backstage because next week, the third part is going to be the guys coming out. And I don't know, you guys. I, I like Louie and Teresa, they, they probably are very, they are in love, but like there, we've said this all along. I mean, sometimes just trust your gut. There's something off about Louie. I don't care. Let Louie investigate me. I don't know. What are you going to, you know, investigate. Do you ever think about that too? You know, with all the investigations they are like, man, if somebody investigated me, could they potentially help me? Like they could potentially put me on like a schedule for my bills or something. Like the investigators, like I notice he doesn't pay his bills on time. You know, like, like, yeah, investigate me. They would like, let's see what, let's see how we can fix my life. Um, it was a lot of negativity. It was, it was fun. Uh, Danielle had a, a very interesting revelation during that she was being used by Jen and Teresa. You hear her an off mic moment with her husband of like, I think I'm being used. 
I like Jen Fuda. I think she handles herself really well. You had Fessler come on, talk about how she got blowback and saying that she slept with James Gandolfini because people were offended that James Gandolfini wasn't alive to defend himself, to say, I didn't do that. What are you kidding me? Um, I thought that was hysterical. Um, I, I it, It's good. But okay, I will say this. The reason why Jersey, Jersey still gets very high ratings. It is like pounding your, your head up against a wall repeatedly because it never really changes these relationships, but at least they're real relationships. At least you look at that stage and you know, they're all, they, these are real relationships. You can feel it. You're, you know, like Teresa's like, you know, uh, Dolores, why didn't you call me? If, uh, Margaret said that thing about Louis calling, he, you know, her kid, you know, and threaten her. Why didn't, you know, and Dolores is like, I don't want anything to do with this. You get the sense that when the cameras are off, it's just as much drama as when the cameras are on. And I think those things are what really is, ne- is a necessity for reality television. You need real relationships. That's why Vanderpump Rules was successful at the beginning because there were real relationships. Every show on Bravo or reality shows in general, when they start with real relationships, you have a better chance at overall survival. Because you look at that and you compare that to something like Salt Lake. Salt Lake has, you know, relatively new friendships and you can feel that. And then when they are having these big drawn out fights, you're like, you guys have been friends less than two years. What are you talking about? Like, my God, there's not a lot of history here. And I think those are the things that casting people out there just need to be really looking for is just friend groups that they can completely exploit and destroy. Uh, Remember tonight, you guys, Real Housewives of Orange County premieres. Tamara Judge is back. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. I saw the premiere episode and I'm not going to talk about it until I can talk about it with you guys. But uh, just know that Tamara, you know, she's riding a Harley in the beginning. She's easy rider. She's like cruising down the OC in this big motorcycle. And Eddie all tries to sex her up at multiple times during the episode. So I can't wait to hear your opinions on that. And uh, I think that's everything. Oh, listen, I said this yesterday, but I forgot. (laughs) I, I. Oh my God, you guys, this is a personal note. And remember, there are timestamps. You can skip right to our guest, which is a flipping dream guest, by the way. Stephanie McNeil joins us today. I'll talk about her in a second. And then after that, I do a whole 30-minute recap of what to expect tonight's surprise will be from the executive producer of Vanderpump Rules, Alex Baskin, did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, and we we break that article down beat by beat. And I really love that segment. So remember, we'll have timestamps in each segment. You know, we're like Burger King, do it your way. If you want to start at the Vanderpump thing, great. If you want to start at Stephanie, great. Or if you want to start at this or don't hear it all, great. It's all gravy. Um, So yesterday I said this and I got a lot of, so last night, I don't know if I'm coming. Well, I slept, you know, I, I, you guys know my, my sleeping history. I talk about it. I usually sleep around six hours a night, maybe less. Last night, you guys, I slept 12 hours. And I don't mean 12 hours straight. Like I woke up at like 10 a.m., which is already late for me. And I checked something online and it upset me. And I went right back to bed and woke up at like 3.30, 4 o'clock-ish. And I woke up just to the amount of texts and emails. And I was just, it, it really just is unsettling when you're like, oh, fuck. When you're just like that. But I have not done that, I would say, in years, 12 hours. Are you kidding me? And then I realized, I think, you know, I, I, I was like, oh, maybe I'm coming down with it. And I think I'm, I, I mean, in all, all, all honesty, you guys here, I think I'm depressed. I think that is that, you know, I think that is part of it, um, which I'm doing my best to combat, but I am. And uh, I did want to say, 
I got a lot of DMs. I didn't get to check nearly all of my DMs, but I, the ones I did get, I said yesterday that my mom, I, t- I, I talked to her and she said she, she didn't really ask me for anything, but she did express that she wanted postcards. She liked seeing where people are from and she got a postcard from Seattle from a listener and it really just, she just really likes to look at it. And, um, I don't know. She's weird that way. <laughs> she's, I don't know. She's one of those weirdo that likes to look at postcard pictures. Um, but I said, mom, you, do you want more postcards? And she's like, you know what? I think I do. And so I said, I'll, I'll, I'll let the audience know mom. And I said, mom, I'm going to give out our personal e- mailing address. You know what that, you know? And she's like, it's okay. Your listeners are really nice. And I was like, mom, are you sure you know my listeners? And so I gave out our address yesterday and uh, somebody already sent a bomb. No, 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 no. But no, uh, somebody said, I forgot to say my mom's name. Now, uh, a lot of people know my mom's name because I've been doing this so long. Becky Bailey. It's Bill and Becky Bailey. My dad's Bill. My mom's Becky. Becky Bailey. And um, that's her name. I, I, I did, uh, you know, or you can just call her mom. She likes to think of herself as everyone's mom. Uh, and the address is 3546 East Ravenswood Drive. That's R-A-V-E-N-S-W-O-O-D Drive. And uh, that's uh, Gilbert, Arizona, 85298. You don't have to really write anything on the postcard. It doesn't have to be some, just a postcard. And uh, I just thought that would be nice and and it would give her a little bit of joy right now. And I think she needs it. Um, and, but don't worry if you can't, not a, this isn't, I'm not going to be checking in. Like, did you send your postcard yet? But I wanted to do that. And, and uh, I, uh, you know, I, I'm shocked. I'm shocked she even wanted, you know, like, I was like, really, mom, you really want that? And she was like, yeah. I really, I, I, that would be, that would be nice. And she doesn't tell you that was why she doesn't really ask for anything. So, so that's that. And you know, what scares me? She said, she's like, she's not even, she's like, hasn't even watched TV the last week because she keeps getting going in and out of sleep. And, uh, and that's just, those are like just things that are hard to hear. You're like, what? You're not even watching TV. Cause you're like, you know, like, you know, something's really wrong with me. If I don't watch TV, if I'm like, you know what? I just enjoyed nature for the last week. You'd be like, Ryan, are you okay? Like, obviously not. Um, so yeah, I wanted to say that, but also I got a lot of messages saying that they already mailed one and, and those were just so flipping nice. And, um, I always get, I, you know, I always get emotional. I always, I'm just that, that dude. I feel like, um, what was I watching recently? Oh, it's summer house where it's like Carl and Kyle were pretty much like crying the entire time. I love you, dude. No, I love you, dude. Well, anyways, regardless, I love you guys. I love you dudes. Thank you for making this pod. Thank you for keeping this podcast going. Thank you for keeping me going. Um, I did. I woke up really depressed today. And like I said, I think that was with the 12 hours of sleep. And uh, sometimes I'll be like, what's it, what is it, what's, what's it all about? What's it all about? And then I sit down to do this and then it, it becomes exciting and it becomes it's my drive and it's so real. And these things I'm so passionate about and I'm so passionate about today's guest. What a segue. Wow. Her name is Stephanie McNeil. Now she is primarily, she's a writer now for glamor, but she has written so much. I remember she was at Buzzfeed news. I read, she's just one of those people that I would always read her stuff. And she would point me in the direction of something fascinating. And she has her first book out today and it's called swipe up for more inside the unfiltered lives of influencers. And if you recognize her name also recently, she's the one that wrote the Glamour article about Tom Sandoval ruining white nail polish. Now, of course, we talk about that. We talk about that the last 15 minutes of this. I was going to talk about it earlier, but then I was just so excited to talk to her. And I got to tell you, I read the book. I got an advanced copy and it's great. I think you guys will really dig that. So let's move some books for her because I think it's really well worth your time. And we 
spend so much time on social media and influencers are, we talk about them every day. They truly are influencers in so many ways. And, uh, they're, we need to study them. I think it's fascinating. It's a part of pop culture that didn't exist 15 years ago in some ways. And so I hope you dig this interview because I, I love talking to her again. I think she's going to come on again just to talk reality shows because she's like us. She's, she's a Vanderpump rules fan. She, I mean, she's, I can't say enough good things about her. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, here she is, Stephanie McNeil. And we talk all about her book. And then remember, stay around afterwards for a Vanderpump Rules segment. Okay. I'll talk to you guys on Friday. Bye. Today, this is truly an honor. I've been a fan of this person's work for many years now. And to me, she is an influencer in that I will go check out these people that she talks about. I will look at these patterns, these trends. And it was so exciting for me because she has a new book out that is that just came out this week. So I need everybody immediately to go buy this. But it is the perfect topic that we are all talking about already. And that is taking us behind the scenes of influencers. The book is called Swipe Up for More, Inside the Unfiltered Lives of Influencers. And it really is an all-encompassing look of everything that we see every day and these people that influence us. Uh, she follows three women around specifically, Caitlin Covington of Southern Curls and Pearls, running an advocate, Myrna Valerio, and OG Mormon mommy blogger, Shannon Bird. And through those conversations, you were able to get such an interesting, fascinating portrayal of what it's like to be an influencer, the good, the bad, the ugly. She hits you with some of these statistics in here that just blew my mind. We're going to we're just going to scratch the surface today, but you need to read the entire book. Uh, and and by the way, if, if this guest name sounds familiar, it's because recently it might have uh, something to do with she uh, she works for Glamour magazine and wrote a, an article that was heard around the world recently when she was very brave to let us know that Tom Sandoval potentially ruined white nail polish for society at large. So without further ado, I am so pleased to have Stephanie McNeil on the show. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. What a nice intro. Thank you so much. That's so, so kind of you to say. I, I truly have been a fan of your work for so long now, and uh, I just, I guess the first question, I want to dip into Tom Sandoval, but just why are you so fascinated with internet culture and these people? How did this start for you? I always had a very, very innate sense that I really liked pop culture, I guess. And I don't know why, like when I was younger, I used to go to the library and check out Us Weekly and People and all of that kind of <laughs> stuff, which is like really weird to think about. But I never really thought about doing it as a job. Um, when I was in journalism school, I thought I was just going to do like politics or something very serious. Um, but I ended up Falling in love? Is that like a, I don't know if that's the right word, but yes, that is the right word. Yes. Falling, <laughs> falling in obsession with influencers right after I graduated from college. And then I don't know what it is about it. In the book, I say, I think it's because I'm nosy and influencers provide me the most access, which is actually not super true anymore because a lot of celebrities now act like influencers and, you know, put all of their 
thoughts and feelings and personal life on the internet. But back then, I don't know, I just found it very fascinating to follow someone's life. And I don't know what that says about me. Maybe I should, I don't know. I'll ask my therapist and get back to you. <laughs> well, I know I think your story is like so many others. It's just that you have a talent to actually put words to this, to express the emotions <laughs> that we all feel. No, I mean, listen, I was, I'm an older dude. I was the guy checking out Us Weeklies at a public library. Like I grew up in Kansas. Like for some reason I was just drawn to this and this is pre-internet. Like, so I'm, you know, to watch the, to watch this whole uh, internet sensationalism and uh, social media, like Instagram didn't exist, you made a point of. I mean, it's been around, what, how many years now? I think Instagram started in the late 2000s or early 2010s. I remember specifically that I got an Instagram account right after I graduated from college in 2011. But it was really just a photo editing app at the time. It wasn't considered to be a social media platform like Facebook. It was just like, oh, I'm going to make my photos look really cool with the Visco filters yeah. and then go back onto Facebook yeah. where, where my social life is. Um, but at the time, the primarily form of content creation besides uh, video content creation was blogs and bloggers, which eventually, um, as I talk about in the book, eventually became mostly Instagram influencers and TikTokers to an extent. Yeah, I mean, the evolution of this is fascinating because you even bring up, you know, uh, Vine. Remember Vine, you guys? You know, like there's like this evolution, you know, of like ape to man of where we are now in terms of social media. And it really did start in these kind of like really small ways that you would never have predicted that people would be using them the way they use them. And now, I mean, gosh, there was there was one company involved in helping uh, brands find social media people to to partner with and they've made over like 140 millionaire clients. Like there was like, so, it was like, they've made millionaires out of so many of these people sharing their lives. Who would have thought that 15 years ago? Not only that many millionaires, but they're all women. So it's a 130, I believe, female millionaires, which I think is something that I find very interesting. And I don't want to go too down a tangent of this, but I think that it is affronting to some people that women can make that much money on their own talking about traditionally female pursuits. Um, but if you look at that statistic, you know, just without all of the context, without all of the baggage, the fact that this industry has built, given 100, turned 130 women on their own into millionaires. I don't really know some, anything quite like that. I don't know, in, in history. Yeah, I mean, you you said it was 84%. Uh, I think that was the figure in terms of like, you know, being able to have like, this is based around women, but also not even women. I mean, minorities, you know, like you, you know, you follow one uh, lady, the, 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 the jogger and the, the, you know, like the, the plus sized athlete, you know, you follow her story and this is just something she had a full-time job and she was able to actually dip into this. And then it became her life. You actually followed her around on one of her, uh, one of her, uh, campaigns. You actually got to see boots on the ground of how something like this was created. Did it, did it kind of ruin anything seeing how the sausage is made for you? Not at all. I think, well, I think one thing that was funny about that experience was I had never actually been a fly on the wall 
when influencers were making a branded content campaign in that way before that. And the content campaign was paid for by the Nature Conservancy of Vermont. And we were on a bird watching tour, which is like not exactly what people think of when they think of <laughs> influencers. Uh, so I found that to be really funny. But um, honestly, it was a very organic experience. Um, just it was filmed. But I think the interesting thing about influencers too is they do put a lot of work into their photos and videos, but it is organic enough that I didn't, you don't feel like you're on a set or anything like that. Yeah. So um, it didn't really. I was really struck by how she was just so engaged in the work they were doing and the content they were creating. You know, she was like taking so much footage and seemed so genuinely interested in the bird watching tour, which I do think genuinely that she was, but you know, I think that that's a part of it too, is just really being able to turn on like that and be that excited about something like that. Um, you know, that's a skill as well. That's something I didn't really think of before I had that experience. Yeah, there is a skill involved here. And I think a lot of us are quick to poo-poo it or judge it because it is it is this thing of like, why are they living these sort of lives? Because you also see all of the stuff they get around this. By the way, the influencer we were just talking about, her name is Myrna. Um, but she also, you, you bring a point in the book that I found fascinating about authenticity. Also that us, the viewer, the consumer of this, you know, we, we crave authenticity. And then when we don't feel we get it, we rail against it. Yeah. Authenticity is such a fine line for influencers because it really does make or break them in so many ways. Because the reason that you follow an influencer is because you trust their recommendations enough to want to support them financially. So it's the trade-off is, I will support your lifestyle and I will, you know, shop your links or buy your products, but I do that because you're giving me genuine advice that I believe in. And so it can be really tricky to walk that line and monetize yourself without <laughs> seeming to sell out, which is, it's very hard. No, I mean, just imagine like the normal person doesn't go around thinking about how they can monetize themselves on a daily basis. And this actually, these influencers, you know, they're talking about coming up with rates, you know, when they started getting big of how much can I charge for an ad? What am I worth? And you were talking about, I think it was like an Instagram influencer with $500,000, 500,000 followers. You could easily demand probably upwards of $5,000 for a post, correct? Oh, yeah. I think for someone with that many followers, 10,000 would probably be about the minimum. But many people can charge a lot more. It's kind of, it's kind of like that's the floor. And the ceiling is theor theoretically limitless. Um, and, you know, that's something that has really become a lot more mature in the industry over the past couple of years, where it used to literally be these influencers who, you know, had very varying levels of uh, corporate knowledge or, you know, business tactics or negotiation tactics, it would literally just be them with representatives from these major, major brands. Um, and honestly, that created a lot of 
really bad power dynamic because, you know, if your target, your advertising budget is huge. And if you can pay an influencer a thousand bucks and get in front of a million customers, that's a huge savings for you. So I think one of the things that has really made it so influencers make that that you know $10,000 floor for these campaigns is they now bring in agents and managers who are also in the room who do the negotiating for them and really can get them what they're worth. And that was something that I didn't I didn't think about as much until I really kind of started thinking about it when I was writing the book because I think people are really surprised. You know, if you tell someone so-and-so got paid $50,000 for an Instagram campaign. I mean, I think most people go, that is insane. That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's such, like, I can't believe that. You know, oh, what is this world coming to? Yeah. But if you think about it, it is such a great deal for the brands. And us feeling that way is keeping that kind of power imbalance in place where the brands can pay especially newer influencers pennies for the content that ma they make for cuz for example say you have a million followers and you can get 10% 20% of them to shop your links when target for example pays you 50 grand to make that that's they're getting a ton of customers they're getting a ton of in front of a ton of eyeballs, mm -hmm. they're really getting a good ROI on that. And all Target has to do is just pay the influencer. Yeah. They're, they handle everything. They handle the filming, they handle the photos, they handle putting it up actually up on Instagram. And then compare that to a traditional ad campaign or a commercial or something like that, where not only does Target have to pay you know, the advertising agency they might use, they pay the actors, they pay the photo people, they pay the glam people. They, I mean, it stacks up and up and up. So actually for the brand, this is such a good deal that it's almost like by the end of it, you're like, wait, they should be making more, <laughs> even though it does well, seem on its face insane. You even talk about like, you know, and this is how I grew up with celebrities hawking these things. But you even talked about Brad Pitt reportedly earned seven million for hawking Chanel, Justin Timberlake, uh, you know, six million dollars for advertising McDonald's. And there is so much that comes through with that. So the return on investment for these influencers is so much better than when these big like kind of Brad Pitt juggernaut monoliths come in. And I feel like how, do you think influencers have ruined celebrity culture in terms of it used to be? actors, you know, singers, that sort of thing. And it's kind of blown the lid off of all of that. Uh, kind of. I mean, it's funny because I think it's just, if you really understand it, it really, you kind of understand how it would be ridiculous in this day and age, I think. I mean, brands have their reasons for doing things. But for example, Jennifer Aniston, if you watch a commercial and she's doing smart water or, or she has dry eyes she has dry like, eyes you guys she's always yeah. having dry eyes yeah yeah like i i feel fine about jennifer aniston but like i would never go to the cvs and be like oh i'm gonna buy a vino because or i'm gonna buy smart water because jennifer aniston told me to like i don't i don't know do people i don't think people think like that but like 
She's getting paid <laughs> millions for those campaigns. Yeah. And, but influencers, genuinely, if they posted, I, hey guys, there's this sunscreen that I love. Here's the reasons why I love it. You know, it leaves like no white cast and all that kind of stuff. Like blah, 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 blah. Like, here you go. I will buy that because that's the beauty of influencers is you trust their recommendations to a certain extent. So you can see how, why brands want to work with them so much and why they are paying so much money. But I think the general public still doesn't really understand it. No, and that's why this book is so fascinating. It takes you behind the scenes and it starts to make sense. And I don't want to say, guys, this is just figures and stuff because she truly gives you the origin stories by doing these really impersonal, in-depth discussions with three of these women. How did you go about choosing these women out of all the women you could choose from? Why did these women fascinate you the most to cover in your book? When I was first thinking about the book, I really did want to, I tend to think just as a writer that you can learn a lot more by getting super deep with someone than trying to talk to a million people and trying to come up with a, you know, general sense of how people are feeling. So I originally decided to do three people because I kind of felt like that was the max that I could really go super in depth with. And then I was like, okay, um, can't do everything, can't do everyone, obviously, with only three people. So I knew that I wanted to do someone who everyone would kind of see a photo of and be like, yes, this is when I think of an influencer, I think of this type of person because I thought it would be really interesting to hear from one of those people what it actually was like behind the scenes, what you know, what they did to build their business and really just kind of dig into a stereotypical influencer, so to speak. Um, and I was lucky that Caitlin Covington agreed to talk to me for the book because she is very much like she is meme for influencer. I mean, she's Christian girl autumn. So, you know, you brought up even time, every time you interviewed her, she was picture perfect. Yeah. She was, yeah. You, know, she, you know, her curls fell exactly how they should. You know, yes. she, her origin she's story was great fascinating. hair. She has great hair. (laughs) She was somebody that didn't take the job in New York, you guys, that she wanted to. She dreamed of. She took a job where she could, you know, afford the cost of living in her uh, in her town better. And then she started doing this blog on on the side for free, not really even realizing the power that someday it would have. So it was shocked when people wanted to start putting affiliate links and things like this, and that she could make them. But also, she was so. uh, she she was so kind of reserved about even sharing with you how much money she does make, but she says, me and my husband only, uh, or her and her gentleman, or, are they married? Yeah, her her yeah, dude, she's or? her husband, okay. her husband. Uh, they only spend like 10% of what they make annually and they're able to save 90% of it. So if that gives you any clue because she's able to take amazing vacations, he's a picture perfect life. And I thought that was just really interesting of just like, you know what? I don't want to share exactly what I make, but, but we're doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. She, she is doing very well for herself. And I think that that was one of the most fascinating conversations I had with her as well, because she has to walk this really fine line again where she she's not a flashy person and i think in general she she likes she's saving her money and you know whatever but there's part of her that 
wants to be like, wow, look at this life and how I built it for her myself, basically. Like, her husband has a job, but, you know, she has made so much money from this and she really built it from scratch. But at the same time, if she ever posts a photo of her beach condo or, you know, her Louis Vuitton handbags, which are kind of, you know, material indicators of her success, people DM her, wow, your husband must have a great job. And I think so she kind of has this weird, she has this weird thing where she wants to be like, no, I make all of this money. But then if she goes too hard on that, then people will start to say she's not relatable, she's not authentic. You know, her followers, if she started, you know, buying all of these crazy, you know, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, everything, her followers would might not want to follow her anymore because they can't afford what she's sharing. So it's an interesting thing where, you know, in order to stay relatable, quote unquote, you have to down, almost downplay your own success a little bit. Um, which then leads people to think, oh, this isn't a real job. They're not really making that much money. So I don't know. It's really interesting. It's such a fine line of trying to determine, like trying to be yourself, which is like your special sauce, but then also trying to determine what is going too far, what will people, and you make a point of today, and I talk about this all the time on the show, is now hating somebody is just as valid as loving somebody. It gets eyes on you. It drives uh, interaction. It drives, you know, and you have a whole uh a bunch of sections of talking about, you know, blog snark communities, websites that have pages and pages talking and 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 kind of shitting on all of these people, which I, I just minimally get this. I talk about even on my Instagram is that as it gets bigger, you do have hateful, hated, con- you have comments that are really personal directed towards you that I'm like, this real it's scary. And I don't sometimes know how to process that. When you talk to these women, does, do you get any sense of like how they're doing mentally? I think that mental health and the mental impacts of this career are probably one of the hardest, if not the hardest part of it, because I don't truly think that anyone can understand what it's like to get hateful comments and DMs about your personal life until you experience it yourself. You know, you said that you've been getting some on your Instagram, you know, I'm a semi-public figure. I've gotten comments on my Instagram too. And it's like, I mean, it's mainly Tom Sandoval this time for you. Yeah, it's mainly Tom Sandoval. But but other people as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, So it's really, really, really challenging. Um, And I guess that's a good segue into the second person I chose. So kind of when I was going on this like, okay, well, I want to do something, someone who's very, you know, typical influencer. And then I really felt like mommy blogging It's just such a key part of the industry that I could not write a book about influencers without writing about someone from Utah who is a mommy blogger. Um, And I thought of Shannon Bird specifically because she's someone who has blogged for such a long time. And she is someone who is very divisive on the internet. Um, You know, she has a lot of quote unquote haters and snarkers. And I just thought it would be interesting rather than finding, you know, a mommy blogger who didn't really experience that to really dig deep with her and talk about um, what it would be like, what it's like to have this persona where people 
delight in and have delighted in for over a decade tearing you to shreds. I mean, there are like thousands and thousand page forums about her where people have been talking about her in this long, unending loop for 10 years. I mean, that's insane. Every facet of her life. Every Every facet facet of of her life. Um, And then when I was in the beginning of reporting the book, I had already started talking to her. She ended up having this big scandal, um, which really only made things worse and really started to affect her mental health and lead her to kind of reevaluate her career and her – her relationship with social media. And so that was obviously a very interesting thing um, to observe as well um, with her. And then I guess I, I knew, I knew I couldn't cover every single thing. Like I knew I couldn't cover every genre of influencer, but I wanted to try and make the point that I think a lot of people think influencers are just one type of person who talk about fashion, sometimes parenting, lifestyle, all that kind of stuff. But influencers are kind of everything and everyone now, like almost every career possible, you could be an influencer. And it's in many, many careers that I think a lot of people would have ever expected, you kind of have to be an influencer. you know, journalism, you kind of have to be an influencer, <laughs> yeah. which is like, you know, sometimes fun, sometimes annoying. <laughs> um, but, you know, real estate age, there's just so many things. Um, well, it's like ne- it's like Netflix. Now they don't have, they don't make shows now for everybody. They make shows for a very specific slice of a certain slice of the community. And that's all they need to get is numbers on that. So it's past the days of being a Kardashian where you need millions and millions of followers. You can be a micro influencer. You can be this sort of influencer. There's all different types. So you have a lot of these kind of, you know, are there kind of levels of influencer in terms of like, well, there's like, you know, 5,000, uh, uh, follower influencers, 20,000, you know, is there a ranking in your opinion? Yeah. And that's something that really is a relatively new phenomenon. Um, initially it was kind of, there were just kind of these big influencers, but over the past couple of years, um, companies and managers and influencers themselves have really been working to diversify in terms of the type of influencers they work with, um, ranging from people with a million followers to people with smaller followings. And one of the reasons for that actually is because there is such a deep equity gap in the influencer industry where so so many more white influencers have over a million followers or over 500,000 followers than influencers of color. And this is a way that the industry really tried to self-correct because there is a really big and better ROI for brands working with a smaller micro-influencer who has a really engaged and devoted following rather than someone who has a million followers but no one really cares about their stuff and they just followed them 10 years ago and now never see them. Um, So... That's something that really has been changing over the past couple of years, which is obviously a really good thing. Um, I don't know. I've been very interested in the power of niche content creators where people can um, become an influencer of a certain thing and really kind of almost make their hobby into their goals. And it also is just a great opportunity for so many people who may have never had an opportunity to own their own business and to, you know, really make serious money to do so. Um, 
I don't know why this is coming to the top of my head, but like you can literally be like a crochet influencer and like have crochet partnerships yeah. and you can make a lot of money. And I think that's yes. really cool. Um, so I knew I wanted to pick someone kind of in that general realm. And I like running. I'm a big runner, ran my whole life. And some of the first influencers I ever followed were running influencers, running bloggers. Um, so that's what I gravitated towards. Um, and Myrna, Myrna? I, yeah. And Myrna, I had come across because she was featured in runner's world a year or two before I started the book. And I just thought she had a really cool story. Um, so I thought she would be really cool representation of that, uh, that section of the influencer community, so to speak. No, I mean, to me, she was like, I mean, I related to her more than I did the other two. You know, I was just, I really yeah. enjoyed her. It seemed so realistic to me. And it seemed like it came from like this really genuine place because it was a surprise. I mean, it was a surprise to all of these women, but I feel like some like targeted specifically and and hers kind of naturally evolved over time. And I thought that was just, that's why I love each one of these ladies that you picked was, you know, had their own story. When you went into this, how do you stop yourself from not already having kind of predetermined opinions on these people? Because you've consumed their content. You've already had an emotional response to them how do you go in and try to remain like let's see where this takes me and did your opinions change on any of these women through the course of this book i would say that they all are very much what you see is what you get i i was never i never met any of them and actually i've never met an influencer in general um where they're completely different on screen versus in real life. Um, I think the person who probably surprised me the most was Shannon, just because there have been so many rumors about her and the way that, you know, she to a certain extent, but other people just make her life seem kind of crazy. Well, she kept comparing her life, you guys, to an Adam Sandler movie. She was like, you know, I leaned into, I, she kept saying Adam Sandler at multiple times. And I was like, wow. But she, she said that what I found interesting about her was that she said this, uh, my life sometimes is so crazy that when I'm able to put this up and kind of, you know, see this outlandish response, it almost makes me feel better about my life in certain ways because it is so hard to keep up with and, and keep control of when I'm able to kind of control this aspect of it in a social media post, it makes it more palatable to even herself. I found that, I found that fascinating. Yeah. I think that over time she has really leaned into this Adam Sandler persona <laughs> on Instagram because I think she, in general, I think she finds it more interesting than you know, just trying to be a very placid, calm blogger. But I think 100%, especially at the beginning, it was a way of comforting herself almost because she had five kids in 10 years, I believe. I mean, that is a lot. I mean, one kid is a lot. <laughs> and I think like, it was her reality. And I think that people really responded to it. But I think that, I don't know, I could go in a whole tangent of the mom internet. But wow, um, also, why are these all Mormon mommy bloggers? There's a whole contingent of just flat out Mormon mommy bloggers that people are fascinated with. And it, there's a great scene at the very beginning of the book when you're like in an enclave almost of all 
you know, Mormon mommy bloggers, like they, you know, like down the street, they're the scowl and, you know, like you have all of yeah. these people in the same community. And I find that fascinating. Like looking outside and everybody has a ring light on the, the street. <laughs> that would have been really funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's kind of this perennial question among those of us who think about internet culture of why are there so many Mormon mommy bloggers? And there's been a lot of theories thrown around, um, like there was kind of this somewhat conspiracy theory that it was all just this plot by the church at one point um, to convert people to Mormonism, which I don't think is true uh, for the record. But when I asked Shannon and her husband who, you know, really came up in this nexus of mommy blogging uh, in the Mormon community, it was basically what they think is basically it was a lot of young women who, you know, they were highly educated. They had grown up in the 90s. You know, it was very much like girls can do anything. You know, there was very much this a different expectation, I think, of women uh, growing up than, you know, maybe 50 years before, obviously. Um, but, you know, in the Mormon community, it's expected and most of them genuinely want to, you know, get married young, have kids young. And it was a lot of really young moms who had an entrepreneurial spirit who were highly educated and were just kind of trying out this new medium. And then it really took off, I think, because brands loved partnering with hot young moms. <laughs> like it's not, you know, I think. But yeah, you make a point. They all looked a certain type of way. They were all palatable. Right, and, you know. right, right. And, you know, Shannon said that too. You know, she's like, I was 24 and, you know, I looked, I looked good and, you know, she still looks good, but she's like, I looked good. Like I was very fashionable and I had this, you know, little kid. And, you know, if you're a, a brand, a kid's brand, that's really enticing, you know, like yeah. what's better than a bunch of like young, hot moms. I mean, it sounds crude, but it's true. So I think also, um, you know, one of the things that they said, which I didn't, I found really interesting was they compared their area of Utah to Silicon Valley, um, where they were like, well, why people say, oh, why do you have so many bloggers or influencers in your neighborhood? It's like asking why are there so many startups in Silicon Valley? And it's just kind of like one begets the next begets the next. And I think, too, in this case specifically, this is a very tight knit community. So when, um, you know, Rachel Parcell, for example, starts her blog and starts making a lot of money, it's not like watching someone on TV. It's like, oh, I went to high school with her. If she can do that, I can do that. Um, so it kind of snowballed from there, I think, where it's just kind of, you know, young, ambitious women, their peers are doing it. They're watching their peers really take off. And it's just, it kind of makes sense. Well, there's a, a proliferation of it now that everybody does want to be an influencer. Everybody wants there. And it, it's that one thing that it makes me regret that Andy Warhol still isn't here because I would love his takes on this. But I'd love his takes also on housewives. And this reminded me of the origins of Real Housewives, you know, it started off, if you watched it now, as you would think, wow, this is a gritty documentary because you see what it is today. And you see all of these women now, it's like almost auditioning to get to be on Real Housewives instead of a, a truthful friend group. Do you see the same thing happening with these uh, influencers is that they're almost trying to create now the narrative instead of having it actually come from, you know, within, truthfully? I think 
in general, similarly to housewives, there's no way to start an Instagram account with the intention of making money off of it and having the same kind of genuine uh, organic content than people did back in the day. You know, when they cast the first season of New York and you watch it now, I've, I've watched it in the past couple of years, it's so crazy because they weren't acting because they didn't know they didn't know what it was going to be. Yeah, you know? exactly. And like similarly with influencers, I mean, many of them, even if they were like, oh, you know, maybe I can make a little money of doing this, they could have never in a million years predicted that this would happen. Um, so I just think you're never going to get no one who goes and starts acting like an influencer on Instagram is ever going to have that kind of organic raw spirit that the originals had i think um but i i do think that you can totally build a organic and you know healthy instagram business now but yeah there's no there's no putting the genie back in the bottle just like there's just no way that the new new york housewives are going to have that same you know, let's say yeah, like that innocence builds over, that builds yeah. over years and already we know what Real Housewives of New York at its best could be. So it's already working. You know, it's already has so much against it. So it's, you know, and usually people nowadays won't wait a couple of years for a show to take off. You know, they want it now. And they if they don't feel it immediately, they're sometimes out and it takes people. I don't know. It's very interesting to watch that happen. Um, you talk about a watershed moment, which I laughed out loud when I read about Khloe Kardashian at a Sundance event. This is, she's yeah. one of the first people because she put on this like a moose knuckles co co coat. And I believe a gentleman who now does this for a living kind of took a, a took a photo and the it did so well. And it was kind of one of the first moments of showing how this could work, how a celebrity or a you know potential celebrity at the time could actually move product. It was almost yeah. like an accident. It, it, wasn't that crazy? To I, I didn't know that ever. Yeah. It, I mean, that whole story is just like such a weird thing for me because I talk about it in the book, but I had gone to New York with a college program and I was supposed to get an internship and I didn't get an internship for whatever reason. And so I ended up kind of showing up with my friend to her internship and being like, hey, uh, could I be an intern too? And they were like, sure. And at the time, um, the company was doing that kind of celebrity endorsement thing, but they really were the first, one of the first, if not the first company to do sponsored content in that way. And I was there in 2010. So like, I really saw the beginning of that, which is so crazy because now they're this huge influencer marketing company and I'm writing about influencers for a living. And it's just, it was so, it's so crazy to reflect on that. It, it, um, it is funny to think about the Kardashians. Like those were their salad days back in the day when it was spawn con for these like, Oh, I can get a free jacket or like tummy tea. And to see, oh, where, yeah. I mean, to see the juggernaut it is now where it's, I don't even know, you know, you're talking about micro influencers and where this market goes from here, because this is, I mean, I think 2022, they said there was like a $16.9 billion industry. I think that one of the figures was maybe that's yeah. even low, 
But that's just that's insane numbers. And I wonder not just for micro influencers, but for people like the Kardashians, where can you go at this point? Because it's unwritten. You you mentioned that it was like the wild, wild west in the beginning. But in a lot of ways, we don't have a history. We have a very short time frame of history for this. So we don't know where the bottom is yet. Right. We don't. It's actually funny because I had that statistic as of 2022. And then as I've been preparing to do interviews and stuff for the book, I looked it up and I guess as of 2023, it's over 20 billion, which is crazy. So I, um, I was off by just a couple billion, you guys. Sorry about that. No, <laughs> no. Like that's, that's what I'm saying though. Like in the book, that's, there's a 16, that's the figure 16 billion. And then already by now, after I finished the book in October, it's already at 20. So it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just crazy to think about with the Kardashians as well, because they really were the first people to realize how well you could sell things on Instagram, I think. Um, and it's just crazy to think about that was in 2012. And I don't remember if this is in the book, but Matt, um, the guy who works there told me that at the time they were only basically doing sponsored tweets, which is so crazy to think about. <laughs> like the fact that Twitter would be that relevant, like that. I mean, that was like before Twitter got horrible where like celebrities were on it and it was fun. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, and from 2012 to now, that whole industry has been built is pretty crazy. That's why I thought this book, I was like, oh my God, you you should write this book every three years because it's just <laughs> like this, this should be a series of books. I mean, like honestly, swipe up for more, swipe up for more. This is a series of books that I want you to, I mean, like I want to, it's like that documentary series seven up where they follow those kids every seven years. I want to <laughs> see the, I want to see you 30 years from now and where this is headed because it's fascinating. We have about 20 more minutes and I've got, I, I've already, this is just fascinating. You guys, if, I haven't told you already, go buy this book. This is perfect also for that person that you talk about this all day long on on the internet. This is the book for them. Um, so I wanted to talk about something that I've noticed recently. Uh, as my account gets uh, bigger on Instagram, it's wild. Like I went to BravoCon because of DirecTV. That was like one of my first deals. And I was shocked because I was like, I would do this for free anyways. And you're you know, I can afford the trip because of you guys. And then I did one last week for Raising Canes because Ariana was there uh, from Vanderpump Rules. Yeah. And I, you know, and I don't have like a day rate. You know, like I'm figuring these stuff out as I go because I'm just making these stupid memes about Tom and Raquel all the time. And by the way, when I don't, you can feel it. People are like, more Tom and Raquel. Like you feel what your audience <laughs> wants you to do. But I have noticed is that a lot of people will buy their followers. They will all of a sudden uh, overnight, they're at like 130,000 followers. And then it's really easy. I talk about this with the audience is like you can check their engagement pretty quickly. You're getting like 80 likes on a post and you have 130,000 followers. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, this fake it till you make it kind of economy that you can buy your way in? And does this truly work with brands? Because they aren't they smart enough to figure that out? I think that maybe five years ago it might have worked. Now I don't think that it works as well because of what I mentioned where brands are really paying a lot more attention to engagement rate. Um, I also think like, yeah, even going, even getting super famous overnight, for example, like it's really easy 
Well, I don't say it's easy, but it's easy to, I guess, buy a bunch of followers and look like you have a great platform. But if you don't really have any sort of consistency, maybe you'll get a couple of deals, but you're not going to really be able to like have a long-term career unless you're able to convert those followers into actual followers, if that makes sense. Because there's like, hard numbers that they, you know, you can see hard numbers on the conversion rates and all of these analytics that is wild, which, you know, some of the women talk about in your book about like really looking at the Google analytics about this and kind of seeing how this is growing. And it really does take almost a business degree for some of these people to get in there. But it is, you're right. Like, I mean, I, I read that Caroline, Caroline Calloway uh, article about, you know, she initially bought a bunch of followers and at the time it really did work. But I just wonder, it's so refreshing to hear you say that, you know, this industry is wising up in a way is that you do actually have oh, to yeah. have a following at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think that that I think people when they talk about buying followers, people think like, oh, so and so has a million followers. She bought all a million followers and that has built her a career. And I I think the Caroline Calloway example is very close to what actually happens where you buy, say, 10,000 followers so you can get noticed, so you can get all people's radars. I, also, I don't know if you've noticed this with your own account, but once you get past a certain threshold, it's a lot easier to start getting followers it's than it wild. is. When, yeah. It's wild. You got, I mean, I don't understand it. Like, And sometimes I'll, it'll cut off, the sieve will cut off because I'll post something that like they consider like it gets, it's, gets, uh, it's like a what is it called? Uh, shadow ban. Shadow ban. Sorry. The shadow ban. But I'll post something. It'll be like violated community guidelines and you'll see the sieve gets turned off. And it's really fascinating. But when that sieve gets turned back on, like I recently hit 75,000 and all of a sudden there's all these followers started coming in. And I was like, why are you doing that? Like, it shocks me even because I yeah. remember the days when you would just be like, wow, uh, I got five followers this month. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I mean, the difference between having 300 followers and trying to get followers versus having, you know, 75,000 is really different. So I think that's what people do um, in general. I think you can kind of buy your – just to kind of like give yourself a little bit of momentum. Um, but I think – I don't, there's, I think people think that there are people out there who have a million fake followers and are making a million dollars a year. And that's just not the case. Yeah. So the numbers can say one thing, but at the end of the day, they're not going to be pulling in that money that those numbers would hope to get certain people that actually have a real following. Um, right. Have the women that you covered in this book, have they read the book yet? Yeah, they have. They have. What'd they think? They liked it. They liked it, which is like, the scariest part about yeah, the whole thing. Do you get thing. nervous about that? Do you get nervous oh my putting God. this much work into something and then hearing their opinions? I mean, I'm waiting for the day that I write an article and I'm not nervous sending it to the person <laughs> it's about. I think, like, eventually, maybe if I'm professional enough or old enough, that will happen. But so far, it hasn't happened for me yet. Even, like, stupid, silly things, I get nervous so this was that times a billion. <laughs> well, uh, we're got a couple more minutes here and then we're going to get into one of those potentially nervous situations, even though I don't think you, I think you were okay with it in regards to Sandoval, but um, uh, <laughs> just really quick, just to explain to people, what are the big companies right now in terms of working with influencers? Is it, uh, I think you said in the book, it was it Instagram, TikTok, and then YouTube. 
Yeah, I mean, depending on who you talk to, YouTube is kind of falling off. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if that actually comes into fruition. Um, but I think that people people think TikTok is – I mean, TikTok is the big thing. But I will say that I don't remember the exact statistic, but something like 80% of the money is still being made on Instagram. I think TikTok cracked into maybe the 20% last year. Um, so we'll see if that continues. But Instagram is the place where people make money full stop. Is there any dark horse ones coming up from behind? Is there any kind of apps to like, you know, keep your eye on in the future? I gotta think that it's coming because we had Instagram and YouTube domination for like six years and then TikTok came around. I knew, I mean, it was musically first in like 2017, 2018. And then it really, um, bef right before the pandemic, the, the youths were really on it. And then now it is what it is. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I think that we're like prime for a new app. You know, Generation Alpha is coming up. They're not going to want to be on TikTok. So, um, well, they say young, young, young people would rather uh, be influenced by influencers than anybody else. By, and I thought that was so interesting of they would rather be influenced, you know, not by like movie stars or their families or their friends. They want to be influenced by these influencers and they will actually take their recommendations over other people bar none. And I thought that was such a powerful thing about the youths actually truly always will direct the market. Oh, yeah. And I think that it's hard for people to understand, but especially the youngest members of Gen Z, I would say people in, you know, early to late high school, they have never lived in a world without influencers. So I think for some of us, you know, influencers can really seem like this foreign concept. And people, I think, still think, oh, eventually we're just not going to have influencers anymore. But <laughs> no, that's over. Yeah. The younger generation doesn't have all this angst. It's kind of like, how people were so mad about reality TV and some, and some people still are and they still don't want it to be around. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I was like 10 when the survivor came out. So I've never, I've never known a world without reality TV really. No, I mean, it, that's, that's so, so true. Um, and uh, by the way, I need, I need your whole book on Bethany Frankel. I mean, here's somebody that oh now is every week trying to like really keep dipping into that influencer market. Oh, I, I know. Find that interesting I know. Of somebody not course correcting per se, but trying to really, I've got this and I really want this. And it's interesting to see her try to find like ups and downs of what works for her. But that's just like any influencer, right? They're trying to find oh, yeah. what works. But you would just think somebody at that level wouldn't do that. But they're totally, she's totally doing that every day of trying to figure it all out. Oh, definitely. Um, so uh, mainly, what do you want people to take away from this book? I hope that they start to, I think on a macro level, I think I would like people to have a better understanding of influ the influencer industry in general and understand that it is something that is real, that employs a lot of people, that makes a lot of money. And, you know, I think for better or worse is here to stay and, you know, to think about how they can meaningfully engage with it. Um, and then on a micro level, I think it's really fascinating to sit back and think about how you've been influenced and how your life has been influenced um, in good ways and bad. So I think that's probably the two things I would like people to to ponder. I mean, you went on that bird watching trip uh, and you got influenced and you bought your mom one, didn't you? 
Like yes. you literally got influence on working on that book. So even you, you fall for these things. I mean, we are all influenced. And I think that is not a bad thing. I think that's a great thing. If somebody is like genuinely loves something, it can show you why they love it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I buy things from influencers all the time. Like I I am totally all in and I don't have any qualms or any anxiety about it whatsoever. So I think I think everyone should just embrace it. You guys can't see this, but there's a literally a wall of like those tricolored hair things. Uh, on that <laughs> wall they're always trying to sell. Um, OK, so you guys. If I'm influencing on one thing, I, I want to influence you to buy this book. Um, now, I want to talk about your most important work to date, and that is your coverage of Tom Sandoval uh, <laughs> for Glamour Magazine. You are the author of a very short article, by the way. Very, very short. Very short, you guys. A very light thing, how Tom Sandoval potentially ruined nail polish for men everywhere or for people everywhere. And uh, I was somebody that, you know, being friendly with Tom Sandoval back in the day, I started wearing white nail polish just as a gag. And now that's ruined for me. But this article came out and it was like one of the just kind of the funny things. And by the way, she's done in-depth reporting about Tom before. In March of this year, she also did an in-depth deep dive on what Tom Sandoval's real age is. <laughs> and I highly recommend that as well. But were you shocked writing this because it was very just this simple idea that Tom Sandoval, very late at night, it seems like, had he took very big umbrage. Not in the fact that he cheated or anything like that. The most upset he's gotten over the last couple of months has been your article about the white nail polish. What did you think when you first saw his reactions to this? I'm so glad you asked me. I haven't really talked about it that much. But um, yeah, so I, I just started at Glamour a couple of months ago. And... Um, you know, I am in the office three days a week. My coworkers are great. We just like love to like sit and talk all the time. It's like perfect, amazing. And we were literally just sitting around talking about Vanderpump like two yeah. weeks ago. Absolutely. And yeah, which we do obviously all the time. I think it was a Wednesday or a Thursday. So I think the reading had just come out or something. Wednesday, maybe. I don't remember. Um, and literally... I don't even remember who it was. Someone was like, hey, we should write about how he's ruined white nail polish. So I think we were talking about his gross nails. And I was like, sure, I'll do it. So I'm not joking. I got up the next morning. I went to work. I sat down. I wrote that thing in 20 minutes. Like it was not, it was not like a takedown. Like it was just, and I thought it was funny. I didn't think it was funny. Everybody thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. Um, and, you know, and then I, I got some, like, you know, funny comments on Instagram, and I was like, this is this is cute. I love it. Uh, went to bed, woke up the next morning, and actually, he had posted on his stories calling out Glamour Magazine, and I was like, oh, that's really funny. Um, like, that's really crazy. I, and I was talking to my husband, and I was like, has, has he – do you think he's called out anyone else? And my husband's, you know, big into pop culture as well, follows Tom Sandoval. And he's like, I don't think he's talked about, like, any other thing. And I was like, wow, that's so crazy. Like, maybe I'll get some, like, clicks on my story. Yeah. So I left. I went for a jog. And <laughs> my husband called me. You got to get back right now. You got to get back right yeah, now, Stephanie. <laughs> on my Apple Watch. So I'm like, on the, side of the room. <laughs> On my Apple Watch. And he's like... Um, Tom Sandoval just tagged you on Instagram. Elevating my style used to mean breaking the bank, but with Quince, I get high-end, versatile pieces 
at prices I can actually afford. Now I can upgrade my style by snagging killer luxury essentials that sync with my vibe and my wallet. You guys know I've got a blue linen blazer. Now I have a black leather jacket and I have my eye on this Italian suede trucker jacket. I think that's going to be my next purchase. So Quince creates timeless essentials that never go out of style. You're going to have them in your closet forever. Quince has all the must-haves, like Mongolian cashmere crew neck sweaters from $50, iconic 100% leather jackets, and versatile flow-knit activewear. With all Quince items, everything is priced 50-80% to less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. How do you not love that? So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash so bad for free shipping and 365-day returns on your order. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash so bad. If you're a wine lover like me, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I found the most personalized wine club that has amazing wines and exclusive perks. It's called First Leaf. As a First Leaf member, I get to discover new wines I'm guaranteed to enjoy. That's because First Leaf gets to know your unique preferences. To start, all you have to do is answer a few quick questions on their website about what flavors that I like, how often I drink wine, and if I prefer red, white, or rosé, or a combination. Now, based on my answers, First Leaf curated an amazing selection of wines just for me. And when I rate those wines, my wine selection gets even more tailored. You guys, I have to tell you, I got a free shipment with them, but I kept my membership going because I liked it so much. I swear to God, I got this great Sangiovese. I got a Malbec. Uh, I did get a Rosé as well because I have a combination and I am loving it. Best of all, I get to choose when I want my box delivered and how often I get new assortments of wine. Being part of the First Leaf Wine Club also has its perks. As a member, I get access to their incredibly helpful wine concierge. Plus, I get member-exclusive pricing on every order, so you can continue to order the ones that you love. So, join the club today with me and discover new wines you'll love with First Leaf. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash so good to get your first box. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash so good. Tryfirstleaf.com slash so good. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS weird Lord of the Flies style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. On each episode of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently, The Big Flop looked at The Swan, a competition show between women who were hoping to transform their physical appearance. The problem? The women were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Unsurprisingly, it all led to trauma for the contestants and terrible reviews. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And so I opened my Instagram and, you know, it was it was crazy. I I have to say that I have like anyone with any sort of public Instagram presence, I have gotten a lot of mean DMs. I've been called out on stories before. Um, but I've never had one so delightful. Like I really thought it was really funny. Um, I was, and I think people thought I was like upset at first and I was like, Oh, I'm not, I thought it was really funny. Um, yeah. Cause he did a multi-story rant that actually ended in a very, like he actually looked up journalism in, yeah. um, like, he did a Google search, which is like, you should look one on like how to not cheat all of those things, but it's a great tool, but he looked this up on, and it said all of these, like, you should print this out and carry it in your wallet so you can know how journalism actually works. And I was like, wow, he's like really on one about this. Did Glamour Magazine have anything to say about being tagged in that? Um, they thought it was funny. I mean, we all just thought it was funny. Um, I mean, like they're, they're lovely. Their main concern was that I wasn't upset um, or I wasn't, um, you know, getting mean comments or anything like that. And I think there were some, but I, like, I got so many nice messages. Like the Vanderpump community is like a community of friendship and love. Like everyone was just, (laughs) I mean, I don't think Tom Sandoval believes that, but like, I just got so many DMs from, like, such nice people. I literally – it took me, like, a week to actually read them all. So um, thank you. Thank you, Vanderpump Heads. Did you have any interaction with Tom after that? No. Um, I didn't think that would be a good idea. <laughs> I don't – The most disturbing part of this is that you say your husband still follows him. That That's the most disturbing part of this story. I don't know if he does. I should ask him. He might have unfollowed him okay, in I solidarity. But I mean, I did screenshot him in my inbox for posterity. But I think the thing, I think the thing too that maybe your your listeners will think is funny is like I know that I like work in media, like I work at Glamour magazine, but like I am just like a normal Vanderpump watcher. Like at least in my own head. So the fact that like Tom Sandoval was tagging me on Instagram was like, I was a little starstruck to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) You just got tickets as Tom Sandoval and the most extras this summer. You gotta, I mean like, it, it is kind of exciting, though, because these people have – that's why it's such a big deal because they have been on our screens for 10 yeah, seconds. This is why yeah. it, there's a personal level of this that is very interesting when you start interacting with these people in some sort of small way. But at the same time, you can't help relate it to their character on the show. They're like, that's classic Sandoval, him doing three stories and misspelling things. Classic. I mean, it's just crazy. Like, I, I actually – we got into Vanderpump because we watched it all during COVID – so we like watched it all like eight seasons back to back and we were like big Tom and Ariana fans. We like really liked them. Um, you know, we were like Tom's the number one guy in the group. Like yeah. we were and like it's crazy. I don't know if you've experienced this, but like watching him now, it's like jarring how different it feels to yes. watch him. 
It's yes. like it's like all of a sudden the emperor has no clothes, and you, there's this feeling of like, why didn't I see this before? Like when I, yeah. I mean, I've been to his care, yeah, I've been to his uh, cover band show a couple times. Uh, he invited me, and I really had a great time because I, I weirdly enough believed in Tom. This audience knows that, and now when I see his performances on TikTok or something like that, I'm like. Oh my God, that's that's wild! Like he's not hitting yeah. those notes. I look at it in a completely different way, which is so interesting. And he doesn't seem to be able to understand that, di- like why he can't be in the same position based on what he did. I know, I know. It's gonna be really interesting to see what happens with the show because, I mean, I don't know what the last five minutes are going to be this week. I don't know. Everybody but... temper your expectations. It's not. You think it's gonna be lame? It's stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's like, we've already guessed it. I mean, I already know what it is. We've already guessed it. So it's not, uh, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you exactly what it is after we, but it, it, uh, I think, but now you know, like, yeah, yeah. But it's not, you're not going to, you're not going to be blown away. I'm telling you, okay. you're not going to be blown okay. away. It's, I mean, it's stopped, he stopped using white nail polish. That's what it is. <laughs> stopped doing it and it's, he brings your name up. It's a huge thing. Um, no, but you were shocked oh just God. like all of us when this all broke, you were shocked, right? Like this was like, Oh my God, oh, of course. This is of like course. Mormon mommy bloggers at their, their peak. It's amazing. Oh my God. Of course. Of course. It was shocking. Um, I've actually for multiple friend groups, like done it have you done like analogies with your friends where people like don't watch and so you're yeah, like okay yes, exactly. it's, it's like really if so and so and so and so and then they're always <laughs> yeah, like yeah, oh yeah. my god wow no i was so shocked i was shocked like i, I couldn't it, believe it as somebody that studies uh internet culture in, in a sense where do you predict this going because i feel like we're you know we're at the peak if not past it will there now swing to the other side where you know, Ariana starts getting hatred, all you know, just in terms of the audience is so voracious for this, but sometimes then it gets so voracious that we flip the other way. Do you predict any of that potentially happening? I don't want that to happen because I've always liked Ariana and I genuinely still like her. Um, I think that she was getting a little bit of like, not hate, but like side eye because the people thought she was doing too many campaigns, which is like kind of an influencer adjacent complaint, but it's like, okay, if you have the opportunity to make, like, more money than you ever had in your life, like, would you not do it? I don't know. You guys know. want her out of that house or not? Do you want her yeah, out of that house? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, she's taking this, and she's like, I watched her do this at that Raising Cane's event. This was so, like, she showed up there with a smile on her face. She did everything they wanted her to do, and she did it with, like, she, you know, she genuinely was just beaming, and it, so, you know, so I, I really fully support her completely, um, and I support Stephanie McNeil completely. The <laughs> book, you guys, is Swipe Up for More. I will be posting this multiple times this week on my Instagram. You can just click that link, but go get a copy of this. I'm telling you, you are going to be fascinated with it, and Stephanie, I'm just such a big fan of yours for years, so thank you so much for doing this. I can't believe this is, this is your first book, right? It is, it is. Congratulations. I mean, that's huge. Thank this you. Is, we'll be here Thank forever. You. So, Thank um, you. Thanks for all the time you shared with us today. And I hope someday down the line, you'll come back. Oh my God. I'll come back anytime to talk about Vanderpump Rules. Maybe I'll turn my nails into nails article into a book that I can sell. And that could be my second book. That's what I would. I loved if you were like, it was such a, you took you 20 minutes. I would love if the actual story was, I did a three month deep dive internal oh, investigation on white nail polish. And this is what I came up with. So that's always um, how this stuff goes though. It's never the thing that you spend a lot of time on. It's always the thing you do in two seconds. Yeah, that yeah, actually you, makes an impact. But what a great way to promote your book. So you guys yes. go get this book. So, 
support good art. And uh, I'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much. Now is my favorite part of the show when we get to talk about our sponsor for this week. And our sponsor, once again, is our friends over at ShipStation. I was so excited when they signed on to uh, to advertise on here. Because first off, I do believe in this product. And secondly, as I've said before, one of their other spokespeople is Miss Shannon Bedore, who uses ShipStation, like I do, to send all of their very, very important shipping tasks, all of their mail. Um, listen, automation is kind of something that I'm needing to do more with all of my processes. You know, think about the thing in life that you want to automate. For me, when I think about it, I'm like, oh, okay, so I do the podcast, I talk all of this stuff, but then afterwards, I got to do uh, the audio processing, I got to upload, I got to put all the tags on, I got to write the show description, and it kind of sucks the joy out of sometimes the actual task itself, just talking to you guys. Now, we live in an increasingly automated world, but some things, they still do require this tedious manual work like I'm talking about. But luckily, for e-commerce business owners, shipping is no longer a manual task thanks to ShipStation. Because you can save time automating your shipping and your returns in the ShipStation dashboard while keeping costs down with industry-leading discounts. Now, for me... I'm going to be using this for all of our Patreon ma mailings. Uh, I, I potentially, when we actually, we have the web store right now and we're thinking about potentially switching companies to make this easier, but this would be great specifically to use ShipStation 4 because you would be able to do everything from one of the coolest dashboards that I've seen. I'll walk you guys through that in a second. Um, also, just so you know, you do get a free trial and it's a really quick setup if you want to check it out, which I hope you guys will all do. But now is that time to try ShipStation out if you have been on the fence. Now, the shipping rates are crazy compared to what you pay before you used it. You will be saving a great deal of money. I mean, you can get up to 84% off USPS and UPS rates. That's crazy. 84%? I just recently had Hello Harlot, who has an amazing uh, web store and, and all that. And this is exactly what she should use. This is it. For, you know, these businesses, these online businesses, especially if you are a startup of some sort, you know, this is the company to use. I mean, because it is effortless. It integrates with everything when you sell online. It in integrates with Amazon, Etsy, eBay, Shopify, all of them. You can manage every order from this one simple dashboard. And that means you print shipping labels, you can easily compare rates and delivery times to optimize every shipment and automate delivery notifications. And with enterprise solutions that make warehouse optimization easy, ShipStation scales when you do. I mean, this is a one-stop shop to get your product out in this timely, efficient and economically efficient way. Um, like I said, you get 84% off in some cases. Uh, and if that's not enough, use my promo code to try ShipStation for free for two whole months. 
over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce business with ShipStation. And 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. Because that's what we want. We want somebody to take away to take away these little things that we don't want to worry about because we we have all this other stuff to worry about. Let ShipStation do this part of your job for you. I highly recommend it. So spend more time growing your business when you automate shipping tasks with ShipStation. Go to ShipStation.com and use code SOBAD today and sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com code SOBAD. Now, I'm going to put the links in the description. It'll also have a link to a video if you if you want to check that out as well. But do it. See if it works for you. I think it will. And uh, yeah, tell them so bad. So bad it's good sent you. You know, I think this is, exa- this is exactly what you need. Anyways, back for the remaining portion of our show. Okay, folks, welcome back to So Bad It's Good. Listen, this is, uh, if you're listening to this day and date, it is Wednesday. And we are, we're at the final, the final moments of televised scandal. And that that means the third part of the reunion is tonight. Now, of course, we have a Secrets Revealed episode that will air next week. But can we just all agree to ignore that? <laughs> Unless there's, unless there's just the biggest secret ever. But you know, at this point, what what you know, it's just going to be innocuous secrets. You know, I bet the secrets like DJ James Kennedy, you know, didn't pay his taxes last year. You know, like I, the Secrets Revealed stuff. I did hear though that we potentially are going to see footage. Uh, of Schwartz and Katie because they did cameras did film a little bit of around their divorce time that we never got to see. So allegedly we could be seeing a little bit of that. I think we might see extended scenes from this season. And, and, and truthfully that will be fascinating because every little piece of this has been kind of like another puzzle piece or a clue to the overall mystery of what exactly happened during Scandaval and when did it happen? Now, they have teased this big surprise in the last five minutes of tonight's finale episode. Now, Alex Baskin, the executive producer of Vanderpump Rules, who works with the production company Evolution Media, did a fascinating interview with The Hollywood Reporter today, which we're going to cover in this. I don't know if you're watching this on YouTube, but if you're just listening to it, we're going to cover it um, and, and go through everything that he said so we can go through what the potential mystery is. Now, I've talked about this time and time again on this show, and I'll tell you the information I have up to this date. But even I'm like, listen, I could be wrong. The people that I've gotten my information could be wrong. We don't know. But what we do know as of tonight, DJ James Kennedy, I believe the cast got their screener copies tonight. They usually get them a week in advance, um, and, and they got theirs tonight. So this is DJ James Kennedy's reaction to the finale episode that he just watched. This is great. Listen to this. Just watched part three of this reunion, okay? And let me just tell you, like, if you were thinking that you were, like, over it, right, or you're ready to forgive anyone, okay? Just just watch tomorrow, and I swear, you're going to get shot right back to square one, okay? Boo! You're gonna get shot right back to square one because there's fat fucks doing fat fuck things. Yes, worms with mustache, poo poo heads. Both of you, poo poo. Oh, we get the poo poo headline tonight. 
And then Andy's like, James, I'm sorry, I'm going to get a spanking, am I? Uh I. So they all saw it, and it seems like it is crazy. Now, remember, those last five minutes are going to be a mystery uh, to us, but we're going to speculate on what that is. But remember, we've got a whole hour-long show. And remember, some of the things that we know that are revealed, because this is when Raquel, I am Rachel, the robot, comes out, and we get to hear whatever her and Sandoval have been you know, going over for preparing for their reunion. But we do know there is one scene that I hear is disgusting where they talk about Ariana and Tom's sex life. And he said, oh yeah, so hot that she didn't even take off her shirt when we had sex or something to that effect, saying that she left her shirt on, which, listen, I'm on team. I'll leave my shirt. Listen, I put a shirt on. I put two shirts on when I, when I make love. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but that's actually supposedly the time when Schwartz put it puts his head in his hands. Like we've seen that image. Supposedly Tom Sandoval says that about Ariana, and then Schwartz puts his head in his hands. That's what I'm hearing. We'll see if that's correct tomorrow night. So even without that mystery revealed, the hour is supposed to be pretty harrowing. And I I hear that this doesn't win over any new fans for Tom Sandoval, but I I wouldn't expect it to at this this point we also see from the previews that he's like i'm a human i make mistakes which is like yes he is a human yes as humans we make mistakes this is a big one though this is a big nine month choice that probably started off as a mistake and then turned into a choice so let's not forget that but i will say i'm very excited for scandal to be over and just to move on and see see what else life has to offer us and of course it'll be will be a vanderpump rules season 11 which we will have to look forward to if they do not exhaust us we you know we might be sick of vanderpump rules in a month who knows but it's time for this to go away just a little bit we'll get the rumors and the speculation but it'll be nice to have the show part of it done uh, and I'm going to be watching actually from Sexy Unique Restaurant, sir. I got invited to the screening party tomorrow night or tonight. When you, so I'll let you guys know on Friday what that event was like. Uh, I think there's going to be some cast members there. I know they have one party in New York and one party in Los Angeles. So I'll be attending the Los Angeles one. If any of you guys are there, please come up and say hi. I'm I'm really I'm nervous to go, but I'm excited. And uh, anything to be near that Sir Alleyway will just be magical. I'm hoping to get a picture with Ken so I can be like, did you know, Raquel? <laughs> did you know some sense of always in a jacuzzi with Raquel? I, I want to say that to Ken so bad. So hopefully my dream will come true tomorrow night. So let's get into this article about what this potential surprise is. Now, this is uh, the headline says Scandal timeline, quote, evolves in final reunion episode. Vanderpump Rules executive producer says Alex Baskin goes behind the scenes of the three part reunion that has captivated audiences ahead of the big twist revelation, which happened after they finished filming and is set to rock the Bravo verse. Um, and this is an article written by Jackie Strauss. Now, Alex Baskin. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, did an article for Variety written by uh, Kate Arthur, one of my favorite entertainment reporters. I thought that was an excellent uh, interview. So let's get in to see what Alex Baskin is saying now. Now, okay, right before this, though, I want to tell you what I know, what I have heard. And this is from sources close as well, is that I heard to temper your expectations on the surprise. What I hear the surprise is not to. And by the way, I will be kind of excited if I'm wrong because it means it's even worse. But what I've heard was that it is in regards to the timeline 
uh, of how long Scandaval has been going. So Tom says, Schwartz says that he found out in August, right? And that this happened in August. That's when he found out. But allegedly we find out in Raquel's talking head, not the one-on-one with Andy, but they filmed a talking heads post reunion. They were still doing talking heads for the Scandaval finale episode. Um, if that makes sense. So they filmed the reunions. Then remember they were piecing together the final episode where cameras went back up and they called people to the studio to film their talking heads. So you had Ariana Sandoval and uh, Raquel all in those seats. And that's where we got the talking head of Raquel being like, I just wanted this. I just wanted to see what it would be like to touch somebody that I loved in regards to having sex with Sandoval. Supposedly she says something in that interview, that talking head that expands the timeline. Now, I, unless I, I've got bad information, which is totally possible. I hear that the timeline starts around Coachella and there's something to do with some pool night. That something actually did happen in the pool or the jacuzzi. Uh, we'll see if that is correct information or not. So Co- Coachella would put us back to April of the previous year and not of the April of that year, not August. Now, a lot of people have said and speculated that this was going on even when she was with DJ James Kennedy. Now, if that is true, that is not what I heard, and, and I will be blown away. And the viewer in me is like, oh, my God, that would be amazing, even though that's horrific. And it would really open up things even more. But I do just tend to say temper your expectations on this surprise because I think it's going to be a fascinating hour of television regardless of what that surprise is. But even even with that surprise, remember that the audience, we already know so much more information than when they stopped doing any of this, because we've had now a month and a half more of stuff after all of this was filmed. So we know more information at this point than the show is actually going to, to reveal in, in certain ways. Remember that you're not going to get all the ins and outs. I think Ariana revealed some stuff on the call her daddy podcast. Uh, Sandoval revealed some stuff on the uh, Howie Mandel podcast. Howie Mandel podcast, the infamous Howie Mandel. Oh man, I hope Howie Mandel's off that over that Sir Watch Party tomorrow night. What if that's going to be his first full episode of Vanderpump Rules he ever watches? He's like, I don't know why I didn't watch. This is excellent. I was way wrong about Tom. I regret shaving that man's mustache. So this article starts off with um, uh, Vanderpump Rules boss Alex Baskin set social media on fire when he teased the third and final round of the Bravo reunion. Now, he's doing these press rounds, you guys, because this is the most attention the show has gotten in years. Highest ratings Bravo has gotten in years. And there really is a real underdog shot here of being potentially nominated for an Emmy for Best Reality Television Series. So you are going to see this guy trotting out there speaking the gospel of Vanderpump Rules. Now, Evolution Media also is not just Vanderpump Rules production company. It also produces Real Housewives of Orange County, which prepares tonight after Vanderpump Rules. It also, uh, or maybe it's before, anyways, it's on tonight, and then also produces Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. In fact, they, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, they had to loan Vanderpump Rules their camera crew when they pick back up cameras because they had already shut down production. So the Beverly Hills camera people were on loan to Vanderpump rules during Scandal, which I thought was just a fascinating piece of information. Uh, the article continues like a game of telephone, his quotes about new revelations that are set to be revealed, turned into viewers, anticipating a bombshell new piece of information, something that the cast apparently doesn't know about that is so big they should wait to see it before determining if they want to return for the already renewed 
11th season of the mega mega popular reality series. Now, Lala Kent, you guys, went on The View today, and she did a great job. She was all demure in her little tweed sports jacket, and uh, I think she she did really well. The ladies seemed to really like her. But also Lala's timeline of this, in just terms of finding out stuff, is kind of wacky. She says she was at an event uh, she said on an Amazon live that she was in an event a couple of weeks ago with the producers and they told her what it is. They told her what was revealed. And she was like, Oh, but then today on the view, she said she did not know what the, uh, actual last five minutes, the surprise was. And that's it. Like, I, I can't tell now when people are just trying to get attention, trying to get clicks, trying to get eyeballs or when they actually do need, do no information. And I, I, you know, it's weird. I just don't like when people go back on something that they said originally. I'm sure Lala will explain what she meant more about that on her podcast. We all have podcasts now. That's where we get every piece of information. But I was just curious about that. I don't know if you guys noticed that as well. Um, So speaking to The Hollywood Reporter, Baskin wants to clarify and also expand and titillate on that tease. Love the word titillate. Very excited word. Uh, quote, there are revelations and developments that left even our heads spinning, says the executive producer who has been with the show for all 10 seasons of what he refers to as the part three post reunion twist. Quote, we wind down the day of filming the reunion. And then a few days later, there's yet another development. It isn't something the group witnessed at the time. So I think they're going to have to respond to it when they see it. What does that even mean? I hope there are cameras you know, there should be cameras in the faces of Ariana and they're like, I need you to respond in real time right now. Uh, Baskin confirms that the twist indeed applies to Scandival, the term used for the news breaking that castmates Tom Sandoval and Rachel Levis had a months long affair. The Bravo series famously captured the fallout, blah, blah, blah. The first opportunity the cast had to confront Sandoval and Levis was at the reunion, which was filmed in March. Let's now let's take out our trusty calendars. It's what month are we in now? June. Uh, how do the months go? You go, Mart. Guys, this has been, we've been dealing with this shit for over three months. I think about that. A quarter of our year has been spent with Scandival. What the holy hell? Uh, we need our time back, folks. Uh, below, Baskin goes behind the scenes of the reunion that has captivated the country and confirms that viewers will indeed be shocked along with the cast who have not yet seen part three come Wednesday night. Quote, the timeline evolves. Question, part three of the Vanderpump Rules reunion is the part that focuses on Raquel Levis. What can we expect to learn? And he says, you can expect to learn a lot. What made this reunion different than any other was that we as a production had no idea what was going to happen. Usually we have some sense. I love that because, you know, remember as production, they kind of get a sense of what they're going to get or what they want to achieve. He says, there's great anticipation for Raquel to come out in part three. I will say that whatever anyone thinks of what she did this past season, it was brave of her to face the music knowing everyone is at full tilt. Okay. Now as an executive producer, you got to say that because you got to, um, she did a horrific thing, but you got to, uh, applaud her for coming out because you want her to come back for season 11. So Alec, Mr. Baskin is in a very interesting position where he can't be like, fuck that bitch. You know, he can't be, he can't be like, this girl is nuts. He's got to say, what a brave thing to do. What I know people might be mad, but it was a brave thing to do. He says, and there is, we've been teasing a twist at the end of the reunion. So I think it's the perfect capper to a season unlike any other. I like that. He's like, there's more pain to come. We wind down the day of filming in the reunion. 
And then a few days later, there's yet another development. I'll just say this. Isn't a garden variety getting the group together to recap show, or in this case, just Raquel speaking her piece of apology to Ariana? There are revelations and developments that left even our heads spinning. Question, I'm going to circle back on that in a minute. First, was there ever a moment when it looked like Raquel might not participate? He answers, we didn't know until probably about a week before that she was actually going to go do the reunion. And then we still had contingency plans in that case. Final episode, the one we got up and running once the whole Scandal situation broke out, after they shot together her and Tom, I think there was real concern on her part about going forward. She wasn't speaking to us at the point. We were talking to her representatives. I need to know who Raquel's representatives are. But there was a point in time in which we didn't have contact, so we didn't know whether we, she, we, she would show up to the reunion or not, which is another fascinating thing. So in terms of production, they are working on contingency plans. They're like, okay, if she doesn't show, we have this to show, or we're going to show this. And then when they were able to get her, they're like, we got to put her in a trailer. during like So many moving parts, and that's why I think this production team handled it so masterfully. Uh, he says, and then about a week before, we received firm assurances she would be there, but we still didn't know. We were prepared for any and all eventualities. We shot the one-on-one -on -one interviews with the principals involved in the situation, Tom and Ariana and Raquel. We shot Tom and Ariana's interviews the night before, and we held filming Raquel's for the day of the reunion in case there was any concern that Raquel might shoot the one-on-one -on -one and then not appear at the reunion. So basically, they're saying that one-on-one -on -one with Andy, Tom and Ariana's night before, and then Raquel's, she did the day of. So it wasn't like she could do one and then just run for the other. It wasn't like she'd show up for that interview with uh, Andy, the, the day before it not go well. And then she's like, you know what? I'm not going to be at the reunion. So very smart move on their part as well. Uh, he says, but by that point, she was pretty dead set on going to the reunion and dealing with what she needed to looking Ariana in the eyes and standing up and taking accountability for what she had done uh, question and clearing some things up. And he says some. There were some questions that lingered. <laughs> was one of them, what the hell's going on with you? Uh, there was a lot of emotion. One Was was there emotion from Raquel? We'll see tomorrow. One of the reasons we did the one-on-ones was because we knew the reunion itself would be so heavily charged that we thought having the sit-down interviews with Andy might elicit different information and have a different tone. There is the reunion itself and then the coda, which is more in which more is revealed. Now, the code is going to be that after that reveal last five minutes. Um, but also, I got to tell you, this idea about Andy doing one-on-ones, I want that to now be a part of all reunions. I think they did something so unique here that I want them to integrate it into all of the reunions. I was watching the Jersey reunion tonight, and I was just like, man, I would love a one-on-one -on -one with Teresa, a one-on-one -on -one with Melissa. You know, I would love these things to cap off episodes when these episodes so heavily revolve around a certain topic. I, I think the one-on-one -on -one environment gets people talking a little bit more or it catches people in lies. And I think to me, hell yes, more of this. Um, so a uh, question, was there anything left on the cutting room floor from the one-on-ones that you wish you got in or that will be included in the extended Peacock versions? And he says, not a ton, which I, that sucks. I want the whole thing. We had to balance the one-on-ones with the reunion itself. And so we had to really thread, uh, we had to really thread the needle of wanting 
them to yield information on their own, but also not wanting to preempt the reunion. Some information overlapped. Frankly, it's more interesting to see the group respond to the information, but there also might've been some discrepancies in the one-on-ones compared to the group. Like we did get that lie from Tom Sandoval about when Schwartz knew. We got that immediately and the editors were able to do a troll cut to Sandoval. So we play those out and then there's the final beat that I keep teasing, which reveals even more. Uh, question, you were also dealing with a temporary restraining order, which she dropped it for filming. If you could have had them on stage together, is there anything you wish you could have played out differently or are you satisfied with what you got? He says both. The way it played out was really dramatic. We learned how to count to 100 yards. <laughs> we learned how to count to 100 because that was the distance. We always cover reality and the reality was there was a restraining order between those two people. I do wish we could have gotten them together because they had a lot to say to each other. That, you know, that really is something we will get down the line. I think Sheena's a pro and she knows that scene is coming and it's going to have to come. Um, he says, I do wish, uh, she says, Raquel and Sheena had what they both thought was a real friendship. There was an intensity and feelings there. So I wish they could have hashed out their issues. Then the day of Raquel wanted to drop the restraining orders. So there was preliminary paperwork. I like he said the day of you guys, this wasn't in the works through the day of. Uh, so there was preliminary paperwork that was given to Andy that Andy then presented to Sheena. I wish in some parallel universe that Raquel could have handed that to Sheena because of the dramatic effect of that. Wouldn't you be amazed? She clicks in the heels and she's like, Sheena, I'm here to say you can be close to me again. He says, but we were not lacking for any conflict or any drama. Who knows? Maybe that will happen next season on the show. And by the way, if you're a producer on this show, you are already mapping out that scene as the scene you want to get. Um, question attending the reunion is part of their contractual obligations, but Scandaball backlash, mental health issues, and the TRO TRO made for extenuating circumstances. If anyone on the cast said they weren't going to participate, would you have allowed that? And are you shocked everyone did participate in the end? He says, yes, as intense as the reunion is for the production, the hard work goes into getting there in the first place. And this was as difficult and as intense of a few weeks as you can imagine. If you look at the timeline, we learned about the affair on March 2nd. Ariana learned on March 1st. We had cameras up on March 3rd. Then the reunion itself was on March 23rd. When you consider dealing with the fallout of all of that, then shooting the additional episode, the finale, getting the reunion ready under all the variables that the reunion entailed, it was a lot. Of course, our best case scenario was that everyone would show so that we could tell the full story. But ultimately, there's a contractual requirement and there's a reality that you can't make anyone do something that they are just intent on not doing. We were concerned about everyone's well-being and that's why initially when Raquel didn't seem <clears throat> like she was going to go, or at least there was doubt and she wasn't in communication with us at that point, it isn't like we would have forced her to do so. Our feeling was that if she was going to go, it would be on her own accord and she would have to be okay with the situation. And if she wasn't, we would have been disappointed from a storytelling standpoint, but we also would have understood. And that goes with anyone there. In covering people's lives, we can't force them to do anything that they don't do of their own volition. Sometimes it means they don't want to be there, but that's different from making the decision not to be there for whatever reason, especially for mental health. Question, did Tom Sandoval try to get out of filming? He says, Sandoval never tried to get out of the reunion. I thought, would I have gone? I don't know. He was never in doubt. He obviously was dreading it, and that's to be understood. But I think he always anticipated that he would go. And I think he was pleased to have the one-on-one -on -one interview as well so that he could speak his piece separate and apart from the crowd. They would actually call his bullshit into play. 
Uh, question. You have sent TikTok on fire with your comment that the cast will want to watch part three before signing on for season 11. That seems to not be exactly what you said. Can you clarify? Because at that point, you know, it's like, God, that's such a tease statement, which he clarifies here in a second. But remember, Lala even said on The View today, it's like, listen, we're on re all on reality shows because we want to be. We want to be heard. We want to be seen. So the possibility of not signing up for a season 11 almost seems impossible with this group. Uh, Alex says, it's so funny because I've gotten all sorts of really aggressive messages from people, including that I will be crucified if there's a disappointment in what happened compared to what I built it up to be. Damn. What I would say. Who's writing that they would, you're, hey, buddy, if I'm not, if I'm not a-okay with this twist, you're going down, buddy. Dude, we got to, we got to chill as a fan base. Like, honestly, my God. Um, what I would say is by any reunion standpoint, it is a super explosive event and it is a big twist. Raquel is not pregnant. There's no story that involves aliens or dragons. Oh my God. I'm going to crucify you. I was so hoping it was the alien thing. Damn it. He says, but what I had said was that it's a twist at the end of the reunion that if we were in production, the cast would have responded to. Okay. So what he means by that, usually when something like this, they then do talking heads with all the cast. Like, what, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? How do you respond to this? So it's information that they would respond to. And he also says, and it's one of the many reasons that we wanted to take a moment between the reunion airing and going back into production. I just think that it would have been very difficult for the group to then continue to move forward because this development happened after the reunion was shot. We're in a tenuous place at the end of the reunion. We do not know going into the day whether we would have a breakthrough or not. He's talking about everybody going in to, you know, film the reunion. How what's going to what's going to come of that day? He says, "I just will say that things are unsettled by the end. There's no great spoiler in saying that. And then there's a further development a few days after the reunion that we cover. It isn't like it's something the group witnessed at the time. So I think they're going to have to respond to it when they see it. And I think it's better they're responding when we aren't shooting. I think it's better they're responding when we aren't shooting so that we have space between this past season and their interactions with each other and the group dynamic going forward. So I really do think this is time. This is the timeline. This has to be it. And normally they'd be like, okay, they lied about how long this has been going on. But now if they're able to find this out, they'll be able to process it and kind of get, you know, it's not going to be immediately yelling at Sandoval and, you know, like things will have moved on at this point too. I think Ariana and the cast has kind of realized Tom has been um, a pathological liar in a lot of these instances. And Raquel has kept a lot of secrets herself. So I don't, tr I truly I truly think with this tease too, that potentially he was trying to tease the cast into expecting maybe the possible, the, maybe the possible worst and that this isn't going to be as bad, but timeline is where my money is. That's what I've been told. That's where my, that's where my non-existent money is. You guys uh, question is the twist specific to Scandable. He says the twist post reunion does involve Scandable and it is a wrinkle to what was said at the reunion. So it is a coda or an addition to what was said at the reunion. Once again, that lines up with the timeline because they talked about the timeline on the reunion. This would be in deference. Ariana Maddox implied on Watch What Happens Live that she's learned more since the reunion and wish she had been able to address it. Does she have an inkling about what's going to be revealed? revealed? Is it involving the timeline of the affair? He says, well, what I will say is 
I don't know who knows what. I don't know if this is information that has filtered in different ways because look, everyone turned into a detective, including the audience. So it's hard to know, but I would say that there's information that was not known at the reunion itself about the entire situation that then comes to light in the days following. Question, here are the top TikTok theories for you to comment on. The timeline is off from when the affair began. He says, I would say that the timeline evolves. And he says that laughing. Question, you already, oh, sorry, another one. You already put to bed that Raquel is not pregnant. What can you say about the guest that Raquel and Tom Schwartz slept together? Answer, the revelation is not that Raquel and Schwartz slept together. Question, uh, theory. And then there is a theory that boss Lisa Vanderpump plans to move the show's setting to Schwartz and Sandy since Pump is closing. I think this person listens to this podcast. Um, that would impact a lot of the cast and would and it would center around the Toms. What can you say? He says, I love that theory. It's really inventive and creative, and it's not true. This morning, I watched the reunion again. I've seen it a thousand times, and the end impacted me again. Even knowing everything I do, I think everything is so sensationalized and so extreme at this point that the theories are really fun. But this is a twist. It's a further development. And to me, what it means is this is hardly over and that we're discovering new information. I love that it's like archaeological dig. We've discovered new dinosaur bones out here. Um, he continues, the group ended in one way unsettled, but having hashed all this out and then they will come to find out, or in some cases have already found out that there's even more to the story. It's not some earth shattering development about the direction of the show or someone else involved in the whole situation. It's clarity and further diving in on what really happened versus what we thought happened and centers around the things revealed in the reunion. Question, I imagine there is someone who knows this is about to come out. Has that person reached out with trepidations or begged you to not include it? Ooh, it's a good question. He says, that's a really good question. I think that because this whole situation has been so out of control, there have not been any requests that we not air that we not air what is about to be aired or modify in any way. At this point, it's accepted that it's a foregone conclusion. This is all going to air. And everyone just wants this season to be over. So there's a more of a resignation to the fact that this is going to be as intense as it's been. It's really been at a fever pinch since pitch since the beginning of March, the minute the TMZ story dropped and it hit it hits its crescendo Wednesday night. Question, is there any hesitation from you about not having cameras on the cast as they watch part three? Uh, he says, we'd have to cut off filming at some point, laughing. I expect that we will hear from all of them, and I know they're waiting with bated breath. They have not seen the episode. Usually we give it early to them. We've been waiting and holding it, so I know they are in as much anticipation as everyone else. They can debunk certain theories, but beyond that, they're waiting to see what it is. They want to, first of all, see the reunion. It's one thing to go through it, and it's another to see it play out differently than you have in your mind. But then there's that final beat that they are speculating about as well, and I know they're eager to see it and respond to it. Uh, question from a production standpoint, would you usually be taking contract talking contracts for the next season and readying up to gear up for cameras at this point? And he says, the truth is we're on our typical production timeline. We're just not in an accelerated timeline. So it just means they're not rushing anything. There was some thought that we would head right into the next season after the reunion. And then it became clear to us that we needed to slow down a minute. So that's what we did. We're making preparations for the next season, but we did just go continuously from the reunion into the next season. Uh, question, given how tense things are among the group and especially with Sandoval, are you expecting to have conditional conversations about season 11? What happens if someone says I'm in, but only if this person is out or I, or if I never have to film with them? And he says the cast knows that those conditional demands never work. So he's saying Ariana can't say I'm not going to sh show up to any of these things with Sandoval. 
So I don't think it's a matter of facts. It's a matter of dialing in what is organic. That's a great production term, organic, for the group to be together, what makes sense. Um, and knowing we want to see where they go from here. It can't be shown with sep- it can't be a show with separate islands. Like, by the way, and that's when shows really do fall apart. You need that kind of base of like group that we see everybody together. That doesn't work, and it's not exciting if we have groups who agree with each other but never interact. Um, but the cast does have the full expectation that we intend to make another season of Vanderpump Rules. Now that we want to make a show that does not that we want to make a show that doesn't resemble one that we've made all these years. It's a show that has followed this group through everything that they've been through to date. And we'll see them as they continue to move forward. There still are. Why don't we just have Sandoval go back to like get a college degree? I want to see that journey there. Same with Raquel, uh, a bachelor, you know, or a doctorate. There still are a ton of ties between people who have incredibly strained relationships, relationships right now. Tom and Ariana still live together. So even seeing how that resolves is of interest. Oh man, we're going to have the move out episode. It isn't like all of a sudden they have gone their respective ends of the universe and that's it. So there's a lot for us to cover. And genuinely we have no idea how it's going to play out. Just like we wouldn't have been able to predict any of this uh, question. If you have your way, when will you have cameras up again? And he said, our hope and plan is the not too distant future this summer. So in the next few weeks, now I had heard originally June 13th, the night of the sir thing, they will have background cameras there, but official cameras up are June 24th. Um, are you in any active talks with past cast members? He says it is a distinct possibility that some past cast members might make appearances on this upcoming season. Question, because Raquel stepped away from mental health issues, are there any conditions or support you would offer her if she did return? Do you know how she's doing now? He says, we have ongoing conversations with her team and we're supposed to speak to her as well soon. God, that's the, I want the, I want the behind the scenes Vanderpump documentary. I want those calls. I don't even need to hear the other end of it. I want to hear Alex on a phone going, how's she doing? Okay. What did she eat today? What, what, what's the diagnosis? What's, what's going on? What's the prognosis? He says, we're going to see. We want to make sure she's in a place when it, where it makes sense for her to tell her story in a public setting. We think it's interesting to see what is going on with her life right now and what she plans to do from here. But our first order of business is making sure that it makes sense for her to be on television. I can just picture a scene where she goes and returns that lightning bolt necklace. That was like 700 bucks. Question, do you know what the status for her and Tom Sandoval's relationship is right now? And he says, I hear different things. That that sounds evasive, but it really isn't. I think part of it is that she has been taking care of herself and she's somewhat isolated, but I don't know what their exact status is. Question, in terms of the rollout of the three-part reunion, which has extended versions on Peacock, did you ever consider doing more? He says, we literally could have presented raw footage and shown an entire day. Then do it, Alex. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? But I think it's a perfect situation where there is added enjoyment from the Peacock versions. They're longer. You see more. We have to cut short certain conversations for Bravo because we have to make concessions for time. And we didn't have language constraints on Peacock. Fucking A. I think to see this in its full glory, you have to see some of the language that is used. It's spicy, he says, and it's pretty colorful. So Peacock is more the unedited version. It's the enhanced version of what you see on Bravo. And he says, the question is, will the twist be on the Bravo version? And he says, yes. The twist will be everywhere. So you guys, tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern, sorry, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, it's really exciting. We're gonna we're gonna end this tonight. We're gonna end Scandal tonight, and then whatever happens, happens. I will say, the one thing is, you know, I do hear not. I do hear the spinoff though. The spinoff thing is. That rumor is still going full steam. I heard, I mean, like I was around people this weekend that were literally, I mean, 
So I am hearing the spinoff is definitely in the works. Um, that's all I'll say about that. So, but really, really what a season. And we're, we're going to, you know, this is our last hurrah, you know, Friday's so bad. It's good episodes that we're going to go all out, man. We're full tilt boogie on that and just finish this out with a bang. And then we'll have the secrets revealed episode. And we'll just cover this show as little pieces come out here and there. Um, who knows? Maybe somebody wrote me yesterday and said, listen, would you consider going back from the beginning of Vanderpump rules and recapping one episode a week? And I was like, you never know, right? You never know. So let us know what you want to see. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit that like subscribe. I think that helps leave a comment. If it's nice, if it's not just move on. And, uh, that's it. You guys, I hope you have a great Wednesday. Please let me know what you think of the finale. I'll be doing my prep on Thursday and recording. Then Friday, it'll come out. And just have a great finale experience. And I'll try to take pictures at Sir and put them up on my Instagram. And that's it, you guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Betches.